one sat alone beside the highway begging his eyes were blind the light he could not see he clutched his old rags and shivered in the shadows then jesus came and bade his darkness flee it's time to open the word once again with evangelist lester roloff on the family altar program for all is changed when jesus comes to stay turn your bible please to matthew chapter 13 and verse 30. i checked on some references to uh, the name Barnes, and uh, there's two that I'd like to call your attention to, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 30. Now, this has to do with the parable of the tares, and while a man slept, his enemy came, verse 25, sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also, so the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. Servants said unto him, Would thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Get my wheat into the barn. We've got a good deal of wheat in the barn tonight here. These are gospel children. These folks have been saved. But this is not the main barn. This is a barn to be used temporarily. Uh, for storing of feed and hay uh, here on the farm and to feed the chickens and the cows and the milk goats and so forth. But there's coming a time when he said there's going to be a harvest. There are two kinds of harvest. One's a harvest of uh, grain and good things. Another's a harvest of judgment. Now, there's going to be a harvest of judgment for the tares and the tares are going to be judged. Now, you know a tear is something that looks like wheat, but it's not. And you can't tell it until it gets ripe. When it gets ripe, there's a lot of difference between uh, the tares and the wheat. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. This might have a little uh, bearing on whether we're to be worried or not. The 12th chapter and verse 24 he said, I want you to take a look at the ravens. Consider the ravens. Now, a raven is an old black crow. I never did call them ravens when I was coming up. I called them crows. They came into our community, usually in corn planting time, and uh, they uh, used to have crow hunts. And they'd find where the crows were roosting. They'd go to the crow roost. Men would take their shotguns. And I tell you, they'd come up under those trees at night and every limb was covered with crows and, and those old black ravens and they'd start firing away and those ravens would start falling down. 
And they even went so far as to have crow or raven dinners. They'd take those. Now, of course, I'll just have to say the Bible says they're unclean. They're scavenger. You see them on the highway eating dead rabbits, see? And so the Bible's very plain about it, and people can say, well, I don't care. I notice people, they have big, they, down in, uh, in Florida, they have rattlesnake roundups out in West Texas. I mean, they, they get them, they, and they catch them. They catch them. And uh, sometimes they go hunting and kill them, but they catch them. And then they kill some and have rattlesnake steaks, and they eat the rattlesnake. And the Bible says, I'm just going with the Bible. The Bible said the rattlesnake ought to be eat, ought not to be eaten. And uh, but notice what he's saying here. I want you to take a look at the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. May I stop long enough to say, you know what gets you in trouble in interpreting the Bible is to do it literally. See, if I could put a figurative touch on it, you know and say, now, that's way back there, you know, and it's different now, and our systems have changed, and I think God expects us to give, and all that. You see, the thing that'll get you in trouble is put the, put the literal interpretation of the Bible. Just let us say what it says. I mean, just go ahead and, and clamp down and say, yes, Lord. People say, Brother Olaf, do you know what that means? means exactly what it says. I don't know anything very mystical about the Word of God, when God said, for he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what I believe that means? It just means that if we'd believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we'd have everlasting life that would never play out. That's what I got. That's not all that hard to understand. I just, uh, and I'm enjoying it. And I don't know why God's people have to twist around on the word of God. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse, storehouse nor barn. They don't have a barn to get into. They don't have a barn to put the feet in. And God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowl? You're better than the fowl. You're better than an old raven, he said. And they don't even have a barn. They don't have a place to put their stuff up. Little old lily of the field, you remember what he said? Why he said little old lily gets out there and grows in the mud puddle, and uh, yet uh, just look how it grows. Yet Solomon, all of his glory, uh, is not arrayed, not dressed up uh, like uh, one of these. Now then, the Bible's filled with uh, terms concerning uh, things that live around the barn. And uh, the Bible talks about uh, uh, one of the things you find about a dog. You hear him talk about a hog. Uh, you hear him talk about a chicken. You remember the, Jesus used that, one of the greatest appeals I've ever heard was when Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem. And if you go back and read where that's found, you'll find him crying out against religion. You'll find him crying out against the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and the, the modernistic religion of his day. And oh, and, and, the, and being, being tied up in secret lodges and being tied up with religion and unbelievers. And, oh, he, he's talking about whited sepulchers, and he's talking. And then he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you to myself as a hen gathereth the little chickens under a wing, but you wouldn't let me. Now then, behold, you better listen to me. Behold, your house is left under you desolate, desolate. Desolation's going to overtake you. And there won't be one brick left on top of another. In 70 years from the day Jesus said that, she was gone. 
all of their beauty had faded and fallen. And dear friends, he's saying that like an old hen. And I walked up to those 200 chickens this morning, you know, and I just came in, you know, with some of my, uh, some of my remembering of the boyhood days. And I said, boy, those little chickens, you talk about, listen, deathly still. I mean, they said, oh, me, there's a warning. Now, who in the world taught those chickens that? Man, before I knew it, they'd all gone back and gotten one little corner together and said, listen, hawk's coming. I wasn't any hawk, but they, see, that's what the old mother would say. Isn't it strange? God put a warning signal. They understood that. They read it clear and plain. I mean, they was on that frequency, weren't little old chickens, see? Oh, I've seen that old hen. I've followed them old hens all, those old turkey hens, you know. My mother, bless her, sweet memory. She used to, and I dreaded this. Oh, I dreaded this. She'd get up in the morning and say, Lester, you know what mother wants you to do today? And I said, no, ma'am. But I, I knew I didn't want to do it. I mean, whatever it was. Today, she said, I want you to follow that old turkey hen to her nest. She stole her in the nest and she slipped off. <laughs> I said, all right. So I got out there and she turned her out and here she went. I mean, that old turkey boy, she, oh, and she'd look at me, you know, and I'd look at her. <laughs> I'll tell you, have you ever, have you ever followed a turkey to a nest, to find a nest? I guarantee you, they're deceitful, old sisters. They really are. Oh, they're sly. They're really smart. And oh, she'd just peck this grasshopper and this little seed and she'd, I'd say, uh-huh, got my eye right on you. And, and so help me, I'd follow that old hen for hours. And, and I just kind of got weary, and she knew it. And she looked up, and I wasn't looking. And, and I, I, and you know what she'd done? She'd slipped off from me. I guarantee she says, and she was over there at her nest, hid away. <laughs> Talk about embarrassed. Boy, I'd ready to go to the house. I'd ready to go to the house. Mama say, Sonny boy. Now, did you find her nest? And I said, nearly. <laughs> I got nearly there, but I, see there, I didn't find any nest. I knew what I was going to do the next day. I knew. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> she said, Sonny boy, you're going to follow the old turkey in for me? And I tell you, you had to be pretty sharp. You had to stay right with her. See, finally, you know, I mean, it's time for the laying egg. See? And I'd slip up there and there I found her all of her eggs. I thought she stole them. Her name. Well, the Bible tells us about uh, chickens. Tells us about an old red rooster. Uh, you, a lot of people say, well, how do you know he's a red rooster? Well, that's kind of we had on our farm, so that's the only kind of known thing about. And uh, you couldn't prove he wasn't red. And so my guess be as good as yours. One night, it was a dark night. Fog was on the deck. Simon Peter had made the best run of anybody. Old Judas has already finished off. Bunch of them turned back and walked with him no more. Old Judas is about as close as, I mean, Peter's about as close as he can go. He's, he's sticking on in there. As far as I'm concerned, he's doing a better job than anybody else. You can just criticize him all you want to, but I'll guarantee you he was sitting up there next to the judgment hall. And it must have been a cold spring morning, maybe, but... He was warming at the fire. And uh, about midnight, you know what happened, don't you? That old, cru that old rooster 
out here in the barn somewhere. I think we got some, haven't we, running around out here? I don't know what these sport model deals are doing out here, though. I never, my mother and daddy never did have those that had feathers all the way down to walking on feathers. That's right, carpet on the feet and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't believe my daddy put up with that on our farm. He said, he, I think he said, Sally, kill that bunch of jelly beans and get them out of the way. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, we, we got a lot of different models, but that old rooster stretched out his old neck and crowed real loud. God used that rooster. When that rooster, listen, that rooster might have been just sleeping away. The Lord said to the old rooster, I want you to crow. It's time to crow. I got a preacher that needs to be waked up. Simon Peter's in there, warming at the wrong fire, shaking his head in the wrong direction. Crow him under conviction. That old rooster said, I'd be glad to do it. And I imagine if there ever was a loud crow, he gave it that night. I know one thing, he crowed loud enough to, 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 for Peter to hear it. Wouldn't it be fine, I'm saying something, wouldn't it be fine if we'd be as obedient as the animal creation? God never had any trouble with them. Not having trouble with them now. I can, I can fly into over a pasture. I can see black angus, charlay or charbray, white cattle. I can see Sandy Gertrudis, red cattle. I can see uh, any other kind of cattle. And they're all in the same pasture and they're having no race problems at all. Isn't it strange that the human people, human beings haven't got as much sense as a cow? We haven't. Isn't it strange, even sometimes at God's people, you take churches that are torn to shreds today. I mean, can you imagine the churches that have been started as splits and divisions and people that got out of line and, and even though the Lord might have gone ahead and used them, but I mean, wouldn't it be fine if a church had have enough of a vision just to say, uh, I tell you what let's do. Let's scripturally and spiritually and lovingly divide up. And the group of y'all go out here and start a good church and the rest of us stay at the home base. We'll pray for each other and y'all will be our child and we'll take care of you just like you was our child until you get on your feet. I mean, to me, that's the way it ought to be done. Talking about the barnyard tonight since we're here in the hayloft, there's an old donkey and he was humble. There's a preacher riding him. And uh, got along the road, and you know what happened, don't you? The donkey could see an angel with a drawn sword. It meant death. It meant death. The old donkey was used of the Lord to protect the preacher. And sure enough, of course, the preacher got crippled up because he was going the wrong direction. Got his ankle crushed, and finally the donkey fell. He fell. I mean, you know, I get three lessons out of that. He got out of the way. He got his ankle mashed, or he got crippled. And then he fell. Those three things, when a man got out of the will of God, that's exactly what Balaam, he'd gone over that at Balak, and uh, of course he'd kindly use prayer to save his conscience down and get him over there, but God told him not to go. Now I want you to turn for the main message tonight to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 6. It's one of the most moving stories in the Bible. This is uh, a story with warmth and with uh, depth and it's a picture. To me, it's a missionary study. I want you to get the vision that they had over there. The ark's gone. The ark represents the presence of God. And uh, uh, the people of God wanted the ark uh, to be brought back. Now, the heathens, the ungodly people, had the ark. And, of course, the ark, uh, it either kills or cures the presence of God. And if you don't intend to live for God, you better not uh, try to get God in your house because if you're going to have a bunch of filth in there, 
preached this morning on the radio on a clean camp, a clean camp. He said you'd have a clean camp. You want the Lord to live in your camp. And he said you're not to have any abominations or idols or anything in your house or in your camp uh, that the Lord couldn't bless. So the Philistines, now the Philistines were always the, the enemies of the, of the people of God. All the Philistines were rough. I mean, they were killers. They were murderers. They were great warmongers. And uh, the Philistines took the ark of God, brought it from Ebenezer. You ever, you ever sing that song, Here I Raise Mine Ebenezer? Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. That's Ebenezer. That's Ebenezer. Have you ever seen Ebenezer Baptist Church, huh? Have you ever seen the Ebenezer Church? Sure, all over the country. Ebenezer, see? So I found some help from the Lord. You see? And so uh, the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. And I want to tell you right now, that's where that trouble really broke out. I want you to know, when that bunch of heathens went over there, and got the presence of God and brought into heathen land and had respect for God, and they just thought, well, maybe we can use him. Maybe he'll give us victory. He sure has blessed that bunch of Israelites and, and the people of God, and so if we steal that ark, that's about the secret of their power. We better get that ark over here. And so they drug the ark over there in the middle of their heathenism and idolatry, and they're going to be in for it. Don't you forget that. Well, they'll be crying for this thing's over. And sure enough, they were. Oh, listen. They put it up. This is interesting, you know. The Philistine took the ark of God, verse 2. They brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Now, Dagon's one of their gods. Old Dagon, he's a big god as far as they're concerned. I mean, he was somebody. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. <laughs> had a little comical to be. They had to lift, they had to set to God up. He's fell, you know. He couldn't get up. God had him sense and had his power. He'd get up himself. So like old, uh, uh, you know, Gideon's dad. You remember that? And old Gideon, you know, he had an experience with the Lord out there behind the barn trying to thresh out a little wheat with his hands and trying to get enough uh, flour uh, for some bread for his family. And there came an angel up and said, uh, Oh, thou mighty man of valor, thou mighty man. He said, uh, where are the miracles of our fathers? Where are the miracles? You talk about me being a man of valor. And he said, where are the miracles? I don't see a miracle. That's the thing that started Gideon toward defeating the Philistines and Midianites and all that bunch over there that was against him. He said, I want to see a miracle. I want something supernatural in my life. I'm going to see it. I want to have it. Uh, he said, don't talk to me about me being a mighty man of valor unless I'm going to get some power to go with it. I want some power. And you know what happened, don't you? He went out, and you talk about tearing up the gods, and cutting down the groves, tore up his daddy's god. I mean, and you're in trouble right there. I mean, anytime you tap your dad's religion, especially if it's a false religion, I mean, he'll tear you up. And so the next morning, you know what happened. There was, uh, was a rumor going all over that country. said, oh, somebody came through here. And, and somebody said, you know who it is, don't you? said, no, it's that fellow Gideon. See, the power of God already been on. He's getting bold. He's been witnessing and testifying. They said, that wouldn't surprise me what he does. Sure enough. And so they called his daddy on the carpet. And he said, all right, what about that son of yours coming in and tearing up our gods? Get him in here. You know what his daddy said? His daddy said, I believe there's something wrong with our God. If our God couldn't defend himself against a little old boy called Gideon, most timid fellow I ever saw in my life, little old wheat thresher out there, you know, and threshing out a little barley, and little old fellow didn't have any courage or power or nothing else. 
And then all of a sudden, he's waiting through the country, turning up everybody's God, including mine, knocking down the groves. And he said, listen, I just believe this. If my, if my God can't defend him against himself against anybody's feeble, as my little old son called Gideon, I don't believe I need that God no more. Oh, yeah. Son convinced his own daddy. I've been along there a little bit. I've been along there. I tell you, I used to shake my dear old daddy up a good deal. I really did. I tell you. Of course, I, I never could understand. He, my daddy never did brag on me one time. About my preaching, nothing. I had, it all had come through my mama. But I, you know this, that I, I, of course, I'd have been delighted if he'd have said, well, son, I really enjoyed that message. Or I got a blessing out of it. But I, it was a long time. Daddy couldn't enjoy it. But he'd endure it. And he'd never miss. I'll guarantee he'd never miss. He'd take his regular seat. And no matter how rough I got on him about his cigarettes and Prince Albert and all that and Chesterfield, I tell you, my dad just sat there and sort of bobbled, you know. And, uh, but he, he never did fuss. He never did fuss at me about it. But I knew that if I was going to preach against somebody else's tobacco, I had to preach against my daddy's tobacco. Really did. And I believe that's one reason God set him free. After he'd smoked nearly 50 years, God set him free. My father-in-law the same way, been smoking 60 years. And one day I went in and he said, Lester, you, can you notice anything different? I said, well, it sure smells different. And no pipes and no, no, no cigars. And I tell you, I used to see him by the boxfuls in there. Now then he said, old Dagon, and they popped him up. And when they rose early in the morning, uh, tomorrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hand were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Now, I tell you, that God's getting in bad shape, isn't he? His head's cut off. His hands, now you know what that represents, don't you? Hands of mercy are gone. No more burdens will be lifted. Old Dagon's done for. Dear friends, anybody's religion that doesn't head up in Jesus Christ is well out of head and without any scent, without the brains, and without any hands of mercy. Brother, I'll tell you, they tried to cut off those hands of mercy and they put nails in them many years ago. But those hands were lifted again after he got up on the third day. Thank God for hands uh, that uh, will not be uh, stopped and uh, made inactive. Now in the sixth chapter, I want to share with you a picture, the ark of the Lord. Of course, you know what happened. These folks wanted to get rid of the ark. They said, my, and the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. The Philistines called for the priest and the diviner saying, what shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. <laughs> he said, uh, we just got to get rid of the ark. We can't, I mean, it's just been, it, it just tires us up. I mean, it's been a curse instead of a blessing. That shows you, girls, at any time you try to pull God's leg you're in for trouble. You're in for trouble. You put her down. You're in for trouble. God's going to get you. He's going to hem you up. One of these days, you're going to realize, and you're going to know that he knows that you were a hypocrite. And you lied. And you tried to fool everybody. You don't fool anybody. You just don't fool anybody. That's the wrong attitude. They're not going to get the victory. They're not going to get the blessing. Now then, they're going after the cart. I mean, they're going after the ark, and they're going to get a cart. I'm going to start with verse 7, because the time will run out if I don't. Verse 7, now therefore, make a new cart. That's 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 7. Mark it if you'd like. This is a, a tremendous, uh, suggestive few verses. Now, therefore, make a new cart. Uh, you see, the new cart is going to carry the ark, which represents God. And God doesn't ride on second-hand carts. God doesn't ride on man-made religion. Put her down. And I just might as well go ahead and say the rest of it. 
God is not conveyed about by denominationals and by denominational leaders. You put her down. God never has been. You watch it. It'll all die out. It's got to go. It's got to go. Just name anything you want to name. God will not ride in a second-hand cart. Take two milk kinds. You notice that? Take two milk cows on which there hath come no yoke, and God's not going to even have his, his cart motored by cows or engines that have been used by somebody else. They're going to pull the, the ark, and they're going to be free from man-made yokes. They're going to be free from the ropes and the ties and the strings of man or religion or tradition or custom or everything else. I want two cows on whom there's never been a yoke because they're going to be transporting God or the ark. That's not all he said. On which there never has been a yoke. Tie the kind to the cart. Amen. That's right. Cows have got to lose their freedom. Anybody that gets tied onto the ark, brother, you've got to get tied on real good. And far as I'm concerned, once you tie onto the ark, there's no untying. And those two milk cows, they're going to pay the price, and you'll see it in a minute. You tie the ark, or tie these two milk cows onto the ark, and I tell you, every last one of us ought to be tied onto God right now. I mean with unbreakable ties. There's no way in the world for me to get out of the ministry. I don't want out. I mean, God put me in there. There's no way for me to, to, to lose what God's given me. There's no way in the world for me to do it. I mean, I'm tied on to him. And he did the tying. Thank God for that. And I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have everlasting eternal life. Say what you please. The Bible's plain about it. You believe in salvation by grace. You'll have to admit that salvation is not a foot race between man and the devil. It's something eternal and permanent. And I'd like to say to every preacher in this building and out in Radio Land, if you can get out of the ministry, get out! If you can get out of the service of the Lord, get out! See? But if you're tied on like these cows, there's no way to get out. Brother, you got tied on for life. All right? What else did he say? Tie the kind to the cart. Or come on to the cart. Bring their calves home from them. Now, to me, this is the missionary vision right here. You know what he did? He took their children away from them. He said, you're not to be bothered. Now, you know those old cows. Now, those were calves. Did you get that? He said, I want you to bring their calves. Now, how old they were? Evidently, they were sucking calves. Now then, if those cows that had been pulling the cart that carried the ark, those calves would have wanted to be eating, wouldn't they? They'd wanted their dinner. They'd had to stop the cart. Listen, brother. When you tie on to God, you're not to let your children stop you from doing the will of God. And children never were putting anybody's home to make them slow down or spend all the time fooling with them and let the children ruin the home and ruin the fathers and ruin the service of the Lord. I don't believe we're having a right to let kids get in the way of serving God. Train them up the way they should go. Make them obey you. I believe that that's the way God wants it. I believe that's the way God wants the wife and the husband and the preacher and all of us are to walk in line. These poor old cows, bless their old lonely hearts, they had to go without their children. They're on their way to the mission field now. 
And uh, this is the price they have to pay. These mothers are leaving their calves forever. And this is a picture of the price we pay when we hook up uh, to the things of the Lord. And he said, I want you to leave the calves behind. Now I want you to notice something else. He said, take the ark of the Lord and lay it upon the cart and put the jewels of gold which you return him for a trespass offering as a gift to be offered. And it's, uh, notice what he said, jewels of gold, the very best for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side there and send it away that it may go. And see, if it goeth up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh, then he hath done us this great evil. Now then I want you to see something. And the men did so and took two milk kinds and tied them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. That's the price little children have to pay sometimes. I was thinking about Jerry. Their little children have never known what the world would call living in the homeland. They've all grown up on the mission field. We talk about the missionary paying a price. How would our boys and girls that are in here, and we have some fine boys and girls, how would they like to live among foreigners all of their life? Only come home for a furlough every once in a while. Sometimes we think we're paying. Listen, dear friends, the children, they pay a mighty price in going to the mission field. Now, I know some missionaries send the children back to the homeland, and that's a price to pay to be away from their children and for the children to be away from their parents. But there's a price to be paid. We're tied onto the ark and uh, to the cart that pulls the ark, and we're never to chafe under the load. And I just hope somehow I'll never hear anybody, and I don't, uh, hear anybody complaining about the hard task that God, uh, these old cows, I want you to see the picture now just a minute. Said the kind took the straight way, amen. The kind took the straight way. The, see, the, the ark's going to go straight to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway. That's right. It's got to be a straight way. It's got to be a highway. That sounds like the Christian way, doesn't it? We don't stoop around in the bushes. We don't make a lot of curves. We don't go crooked. We don't stop along the trail. The cows don't have any little calves to stop them. They're moving on. They're moving on. And let me tell you something. There's only one person. Those cows are completely turned loose. Did you know that? They're complete. There's nobody guiding those cows. They, those men, there's not any men out in front of those cows. You know who's guiding those cows? God's guiding those cows. And I want to tell you something right now. If God can guide a couple old milk cows, he can guide Brother Olaf and he can guide you. Amen? Now, I believe if he can reveal his will and make a cow do it, he can cause me and you to do the will of God. And this business of saying I can't find the will of God, I don't believe you're looking for it. I believe God will reveal the will of God. He said it'd be his joy to tell his children what he wanted to do. They went along the highway, notice, lowing as they went, lowing as they went. You know what that reminds me of? Just weeping, weeping. Oh, you know, it used to get me. It used to get me when uh, dad would sell a calf and the old cow. I've seen her walk that fence all day long, Brother Pache, just lowing away. She's weeping. She's grieving. Little old cow, oh, she got over it. That's more than a lot of human beings do. A lot of people never get over it. They say, oh, uh, I've, I've just been in sorrow. How long? Well, it's been 15 years. I said, my, cows don't low that long. God's people ought to get over it. 
Listen, we got, we got business to look after. We got things more important. Bible said, let the dead bury the dead. Go preach! I don't have time to sit around and moan and groan and mourn and carry on like I don't have any God. Why, I have God's grace and I have a bomb in Gilead. It's time for us to look after the living instead of taking care. I'm getting more letters all the time from my radio friends sending gifts to the work instead of studying, sending flowers. And I'm not against the flower shops at all, but they said, Brother Olaf, we'd like to give something to the living. I don't mean to be ugly, and I know this bus tradition sometimes, but I've got more to do than visit a cemetery every day. I've got more to do with the money God gives me than to buy flowers, take out to a tomb where there's been a loved one go to heaven many years ago. I haven't got time for that. I haven't got any money to spend on that. Whether you like it or don't, if you, if you heard the calls I've heard for 14 people the last fi five days, I'll guarantee if you had any heart in you, it'd wake you up. It'd stir you up when you just say, no, and a mother ready to have a nervous breakdown said, Brother Wolf, I can't go on. I watch him 24 hours a day. I don't have any husband. He doesn't have any daddy. I wanted to be around men, folks. I said, I'm sorry. And I tell you, when you get the burden like Walt to, we'd, we're going to put some money into the work of the Lord. Notice what he said. They went along the highway, doing what? Low and low and as they went, but we'll have to hasten. Notice what he said. They turned not aside to the right hand or the left. They didn't go crooked. Those old cows could have seen a good grass field over there, couldn't they? No, sir, they got to go on. They're carrying the ark. They, they could have seen a nice pool of water over there, couldn't they? The Bible didn't say they stopped to drink any water. They were on a fast. They were moving on. They were getting the ark home to the people of God. Let me show you what made them stop. I want to show you what made them stop. And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. Look out. Look out. Now, you know cows don't particularly eat wheat. I mean, that's not their favorite diet. But I'll tell you what they did. They headed straight for the wheat harvest. Brother Lord, that's where they're going, is looking for a harvest field. Oh, my soul. Tonight, if our people could just be looking for the harvest, I mean souls. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about souls. Just people that are lost. Tomorrow night as we go in that old jailhouse, I just pray God will give us a flock of souls. Letters have come and said, Brother Olaf, please come and talk with me. Come and talk with me. And you know where those cows went? They wound up in the harvest down in the valley. Wait, you know why? Down in the valley, probably the richest land, the greatest harvest. Everything's white, great crop, bumper crop. And those old cows, not knowing any more than they knew, God led them straight to the harvest field. Straight to the harvest field. Down in the valley where the wheat was ripe. And those old cows walked up there and God, you know where God wanted to be? God wanted to be in the harvest field. You know where he wanted his ark? He wanted it in the harvest field. Wherever there's the most wheat, where do you want to be? I said, where do you want to be? I mean, how many souls do we want to see saved by the grace of God? Oh, I tell you, precious little old girls came in the office today, and, and one of them began to cry over her daddy. And she began to say, Lord, you know I love you more. Uh, with all my heart, she said, I love you. Now then, I want my daddy saved. I want my daddy saved. Oh, I tell you, dear friends, that's what, we, that's what it's all about, right? She's going to harvest field. 
She's down in the valley where the wheat was right and the daddy that needs Jesus desperately. Never been close to any of his children, including his wife. It's because of sin. Because of sin. And dear friends, the thing we've got to do is to wind up in the harvest field. Go, dear friends, where the harvest is ripe. Down where we can reap. And uh, you know what happened? The people looked up. The people that was in the harvest field. You know who saw the ark first? The people in the harvest field. You know the people that, you know what they did when they got there? The Bible said they rejoiced. Amen. Oh, they looked up. And, and actually, I think this is what they saw. God's coming. The ark's coming home. Oh, yonder comes the presence of God. We've been long and backslidden and cold since we lost God. Yonder comes God coming back to his children. Uh, it must have been uh, like little lonely children after mother maybe has been gone for a while. I remember when my mother used to be called out in the dark of the night, one o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, old telephone ring, four rings on 187. My mother'd say, Harry, oh, go answer the phone while I get my clothes on. Somebody's sick, and uh, there's a baby going to be born in a few moments. And we'll have to get over that as quick as we can. Why, listen, people all over this nation uh, were bathed and dressed by my mother as a little baby. Uh, she was called every time a baby came within miles of our home. I tell you, it sure brought a famine around my house. It really did. You talk about hardships. I thought, man, I'm on the mission field. My daddy couldn't cook nothing. I mean, he, he didn't hardly know a bed sheet from a pillowcase. <laughs> My daddy, bless his heart, he was an outside man. He could put the harness on mules, saddle on a horse, milk a cow, plow a whole bunch of land. But man, you put him inside the house, he barely could push a broom. He didn't know much about it. And I tell you, my mother'd stay, and sometimes she'd have to stay longer, and I'd look up. The old, lonely, sickly sort of a country boy, and I'd see my mama coming. <laughs> ah, listen. Boy, that old house began to look better. I mean, the flowers smelled sweeter, and the food sure tasted better. Just to see mama coming home. But oh, one of these days, and I close with this, and I'll be glad. I'm going to look up and see Jesus coming. That's right. He's going to come. Just put her down. And the Bible said, and I got a blessing out of it, as it said a while ago. He's going to leave heaven with a shout. He's going to shout all the way. You watch it. He's going to shout. He's not coming. You know, he's going to, the Bible said he's going to descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel. And I can just see him leaving out of heaven in a hurry. Oh, I tell you, I can see his robe flapping in the wind. And the angel said, say, what in the world did you hear? I've never heard such a shout in my life. And said, when Jesus pulled out of here and waving those nails, scarred hand, where in the world is he going? And he hollered back and said, I'll be back after a while. I'm going to get my bride. God, he's shouting all the way. <laughs> I, I'm the one ought to be shouting. I'm the one ought to be coming. He's coming, and he's coming soon. And I praise God for the privilege of knowing him. Thank you for joining us today on the Family Altar Program with Lester Roloff. 